Okay. So we got a few questions, main questions for you. And they sound like, uh, give us a few words, uh, give us some kind of presentation of your winery, then and how did you start and how you can describe the style of your winery. I don't know who will be first. Uh, it's up to you guys make a decision. Uh, well, je commence. Alors, <clears throat> so uh, I begin. Uh, so my first vinification was in uh, 2009. Okay, so I'm quite. Uh, I'm not the new generation because uh, it's quite old now. And um, I mean, when I began. Uh, uh, my, uh, you know, my main, uh, the main producer in Côte d'Ebar where uh, Cédric Bouchard, Vouette uh, Sorbet, there were, there were not so many uh, fashion producers compared to now, you understand? So when I began, uh, I tried to, to go in that direction and uh, I, uh, I grew little by little and um, I, I began to produce only uh, 8,000 bottles and I grow every year to produce uh, more and more. And uh, now I produce uh, not far from 50,000 uh, bottles. And I, um, what can I say to, to define the style of my wine? I think I have low yields in the vineyards. And when you have low yields in the vineyard in Côte d'Ebar, you have very Venus, Venus wine. Uh, that was one of the questions of Christina. Uh, I think that Côte d'Ebar, uh, we have definitely Venus wine with a little bit of bitterness uh, at the end of the palette. And uh, when you have very low yields, it's, uh, you, you, it's more easy to, to go in that direction. So what I, what I produce now, it's, what I try to produce now is, uh, is uh, this kind of wine, but with a good drinkability and uh, with um, low sulfate. And when you have low sulfate, you increase the drinkability and the bitterness is, um, is uh, easy, easier to drink. I don't know if you understand what I want to say, but uh, so um, this is what I, can, what, what I can say to introduce my, uh, my production. Yep. That was absolutely clear. Thank you, Remy. And what yep. is new, Rafa? Hey, maybe we are a part of this new generation because uh, with Anna, we came back in 2013. And uh, then we started to make our own wine in 15, because my parents and my grandparents sell the grape to the cooperative and make any wine. So we start with our first vintage in 15, with 5,000 bottles. And then we make a little bit more each vintage. We make only vintage champagne. We also start to work organic in 14. And now we get the certification in 19. So for the style of the wine, DID, our ID is spending a lot of time on the winyard to have the best quality of grapes as possible. And then let the grape make their own way on the winery with uh, less intervention as possible. So we, we start to work without sulfate. We work with uh, natural yeast. The, yeah, we, we make any fining, any ripening, any anything on the wine, just quiet on the lee uh, until the bottling. So we want to, yeah. our, our idea at the beginning was no story, simply natural. And that's really what we tried to, to make, keep the more closer of the natural as possible. 
So, sorry, one question. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, Rafa, you have also like uh, Solera, as I know. Like, uh, what is about like this? Yeah, so we start. The... Yeah, sure. Oh, now, now we make only vintage, and we sell only vintage, but we start the Solera in 19. So now it's a Solera with only three different vintage, 19, 20, 21. So we don't sell it now. We will sell it maybe in a couple of years, vintage, we'll see. And this. So, no, so this just week, like to define for the people, sorry for interruption, that they will not for the future understanding like selling your wines that it's only like vintage champagne. So in the future, it will be like more versatile. Hey, it will be only vintage champagne for the almost the whole range, except one cuvee that will be a Solera. Okay, thanks. But the Solera will not be a part of one cubé or more, just be a single cubé with Solera. Okay, Okay, thanks. That's okay. the idea. Great. Good question, thank you. Uh, okay, we go on for the next question. As you already said, you are the young part, the new blood of winemaking in the Champagne and the Côte de Bar and you are the new generation. But uh, can you explain us what is the idea, why there are so many new young producers in the Côte d'Ivoire area and how it works, uh, how you can increase the interest of that area and why so many newcomers start to work in there. Maybe some local guys, maybe some newcomers, but why there is some kind of movement in there right now? Uh, I can try to. J'y vais, uh, Raphaël, ou tu, tu veux y aller? Privilège de l'âge. No, but the new, I think it's the same in La Marne. I think now you have the situation um, in Champagne. Um, I mean, the, the old fashioned Champagne, it's difficult to sell now the, the old wine growers with um, the private clients. It's more and more difficult for them to sell their Champagne. And I think all the new, um, the new wine grower who come on the, on the market, they, they, they understood that uh, if they want to, um, to have a good visibility, it's important to them to focus on the, on the terroir. And uh, that's what I did huh, also uh, 10 years ago. That's what Raphael did. And I think if you, well, if you come, you are new, and you understand the market, uh, and if you are passionate also, because uh, I think the, the most important thing is to be passionate, um, I think you, you go in that direction, or, enfin, direction of terroir wines, organic wine, biodynamic. Uh, it's more passionate, enfin, it's, um, it's more passionate thing, and uh, it's also uh, things that people are looking for. Okay, okay. And I think we can also add that we are a little bit late in terms of generation to compare with the man. The man is maybe one or two generations forward from us. So here in the Côte d'Ebar, we have also bigger, uh, bigger area of Wainyard and uh, the champagnization is more new in Côte d'Ebar than in Marne. That's why now a lot of young guys come back there and start with their own thing because the parents uh, like for me, the cooperative was really a big, big thing in the village, and it's still a big thing in the village. And uh, a lot of people from my parents' generation just want to work on the wine lab and don't, don't have problem to add the manipulation and the champagne making and just 
welcome to Wayne Yard, and, and that's it. Okay. Yeah, perfect. And uh, can you tell us also what makes the uniqueness of the terroir of Cote de Bar? So did you hear? Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey. Can you tell us a few words what makes uh, the terroir of Cote de Bar unique? You know. Hey, hey, you have to go and to see the soil. It's very different from the map. Here we have no chalk. We have only clay and calcare. And uh, also we are approximately 150 kilometers south from Reims and uh, Epernay. So the climate is also quite different, a little bit warmer. The, the rain is also a little bit different. We are, to compare, we are more close in uh, terms of terroir and wine from Chablis than Epernay or Reims. Yeah, it's really a different thing. In a couple of, Century ago, we were in Burgundy here in the ville, and then we are in Champagne. The border changed, but we are really, in terms of culture, of terroir, and of wine, we are really closer to Burgundy than to the rest of the Champagne. I think so. So, 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 so sorry for the bad joke, but now, like uh, we in Russia, the same in the past, we was Russian wine, and now also part of Champagne. So, <laughs> yeah, the border changed, sure. Okay, Remy, maybe a few words about the uniqueness of the terroir of Côte de Bar. Yeah, it's the, the localization, also the, the terroir, as, uh, as Raphael said, uh, we, are, we have the same terroir than uh, Chablis. And um, I think that's why the, the wines are so different. But um, in the Echelle de Cru, we are lower than uh, Marne because we have no Grand Cru. The, all the Grand Cru and the Premier Cru are in La Marne. Here in Côte d'Ebar, we are only uh, autre Cru. But I think if, if we have low yields, we can have very interesting wine. I think the, the main difference in that uh, in the Grand Cru, even if you work uh, not in the best way with very high yields, you can have something interesting. In Côte d'Ebar, if you work bad, you can do interesting things. And uh, it's compulsory for us to work very well and to have low yields and um, good wine growing. That's what I think. Okay, perfect. So you have unique style, you have unique terroir, you have uh, your own ideas. But uh, as we will talk about the Cordoba at all, for more interest of that area for the last five or 10 years, uh, do you feel increases of the interest in that area? And uh, maybe you can explain why uh, right now we see so many record towns, uh, vineyard, and before there is no any of them on the market. Why they sell great before and right now they only in a few years they started to make their own name on the market. Hey, it's like I said at the beginning, we. We start from uh, hey, a lot of young wine growers from Côte de Bar start from nothing in terms of bottles. Like Remy and I, we start, we start the first to make champagne. Our parents didn't make any champagne. So we can, when we, and we have quite big area to take care of the wine yard. So you can start with nothing and two years later make the whole surface in bottles. And that's almost the same for every hey, Slava, you show a bottle of Laborderie, 
I, I know them because it's family and they, it's the same. You start slowly and then you go step by step to make more buttons, but it takes time because you have to wait three years and you have to, to manage to... But uh, maybe also for a few winemakers who work in that area before, they had some kind of contracts with the big houses and they should sell the grape. And right now they started to get their own brand. They started to make their own way. But what, why it was like that before and why right now they started to make their own names? So what's the difference between 10 years ago and now? What could be better maybe for them now? But I think you, um, there is something that you are not uh, conscious about. It is uh, that the, um, the number of bottles sold by the wine growers in, in Côte de Bar and also in all the Champagne decrease. I mean, less and less wine growers sell uh, their grapes. Uh, as I told you before, um, the, it's more difficult for the old-fashioned um, wine growers to sell their, their bottles. And more and more wine growers stopped to sell their, uh, their bottles and they decided to sell grapes to the big houses. You understand? So I think the, for the moment, the, what you speak about, the new generation of wine grower, it's very uh, tiny, uh, tiny part of the bottles production of Cote de Bar, you understand? So everybody knows them, you all know them because, it's, uh, because that, that's what you like. But the majority of the wine grower in Cote de Bar, they sell grapes and... Uh, I mean, well, what you speak about, it's a very uh, a tiny proportion of the wine growers, you understand? And as I told you, I think this is, this is people like me, like Raphael, who are passionate and they understood that uh, it's uh, more interesting, more fun to, to produce their champagne and uh, to take that direction. But uh, for example, in, you know, Côte des Bar, it's Bar sur Aube. There is a Bar sur Aube side with a Champagne Drapier, with me, with Nathalie Falmet. And there, in the bar, there is also the bar sur Seine side with uh, Raphael, Vuete Sorbet, and all the famous uh, wine growers of uh, Côte des Bar. And in my side, the side of bar sur Aube, there is not so many wine growers uh, who uh, try to have this kind of production. Uh, there is, uh, I, there is uh, Nathalie Falmet, there is Drapier, of course. Uh, but what I want to say, it's, it's very, um, very uh, not, it's not, um, it's very tiny. Okay, okay. So, and for example, right now, you have your own 10 hectares and uh, how many grapes you sell and how many grapes you rest to yourself to produce your own wine? How do you separate it? At this vintage, it was easy <laughs> because with all the, with the frost and the disease for our, for our domain, we sell any grapes, we keep all the grapes to make our own bottle. But a normal vintage, I think we, we will keep for us maybe three, three hectares, three hectares and a half next vintage, and we sell the rest, so four hectares. But in the future, each vintage, we try to keep a little bit more each vintage to make more bottle. Yeah, for me, uh, it's the same for this vintage. The, low, uh, the yields were quite low, so I kept uh, everything for me. But in a normal vintage, uh, I keep 
I keep uh, uh, two thirds of my production. You know, in a normal stage, one hectare, it gives 10,000 bottles. So in, in a normal vintage, I, I want to produce uh, 50,000 or 60,000. So uh, I keep uh, six hectares and I have nine hectares. That's, uh, that's the rules. So it's pretty, pretty high quality of bottles per hectare because usually then we start to discuss about it. It, it works like one hectare, 5,000 bottles. So you have more, two times more from one hectare. Женя, извини, пожалуйста, ты сейчас очень запутанно сказал, даже я не понял. Скажи, пожалуйста, по-русски, что ты хочешь сказать. When we discuss about the production of a wine, we make it... Where? In France, in Spain, in Portugal, in Germany? In France. One hectare... But we don't speak about champagne. But in champagne more, yeah? Yeah, because, I mean, in champagne, the density of the plants per hectare is quite high. I mean, if we compare with Languedoc or we compare with, uh, it depends. The more north we go, the higher production. Like if you want to generalize things, it's like this. But in Champagne, generally, if you have like 10, 10 tons and sometimes 14 tons, in March, they could produce also 14,000 bottles from a, from a hectare. It depends on the quality of your vineyard management. And to produce, to produce 10,000 bottles per hectare, you need to harvest 12,000 kilos. So it's really a really, really good vintage. The last time I produced in my estate 12,000 kilos per hectare, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, okay. But, 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 yeah. generally, but generally, it's possible, yes? Generally, for, for our kind of uh, production, it's uh, for, for me. Uh, In average, the 10 uh, past years, I produce something than uh, something like uh, maybe uh, seven tons per uh, seven or eight tons per hectare in average during the last. Okay. Uh, understand? So I well, I produce. Uh, well, I don't produce 10,000 bottles per hectare every year. It's very rare that that uh, we can hit this uh, this kind of uh, yields. But in Marne Valley, for example, it uh, could be possible. Like more Côte de Blanc. Côte de Blanc, it's easier. Côte de Blanc, easier, yeah. okay. And because our soil are really different from the man, with some chalk, and also not that deep. So it's more stressful for the winard and also not much water. So yeah, it's more difficult, sure. And also the, the frost, the spring frost, it's... Uh, the spring frost, it's always in Côte de Bar. The, in La Marne, they, they don't have this kind of problems. Okay, okay. So maybe you can tell us a few words about this season at all. How was it, 2021? It was heavy stuff, I think. Do you hear it, No, but it was the, hey, I'm not that old, but since we started in 15, it was the worst. Hey, we, we start to make wine in 15, but we start to work on the wine yard in 13, and it's the worst vintage, yeah, sure. We start with the frost in March and April, and we lost maybe for us 60% with the frost. <coughs> and then the season was also really complicated with the mildew. And uh, with the disease, we lost again maybe 40% of the harvest. So, so it was really, really, really hard vintage. We have to work a lot and we harvest not that much. It was quite complicated 
but the quality is not that bad. And we'll see in a couple of months how it tastes. But oh, I, I try to stay optimist about the wine and we'll see. But this was a really tough vintage, the one of we learned a lot also because we, we tried to make our best and it didn't work. So, hey, something to find, something to improve, but lot to learn. And how was it for you, Remy? I mean, you are like in a neighboring area in Barcelona. So, how was it uh, for you, the lost uh, frosts and uh, mildew? Uh, frost, it was quite the same than Rafael. Maybe we had uh, two times frost in, uh, at the end of April, first, first, and then at the beginning of May. And the second time, I think uh, frost was uh, worst in the uh, Rafael area. So, but I also have a lot of lost. Uh, also, I, I prune very late. So, you know, when you prune late, you decrease the, the risk of frost. So I had also a lot of uh, frost uh, lost. And then for the mildew, you know, I, I'm not um, in my estate for the moment. I'm not organic certified. So I was, um, I allow me to, uh, to add, um, I mean, to protect my vineyard with something that is not allowed in organic, you understand? And uh, that's why I, uh, my lost, I lost a little, uh, I lost uh, something like 20% with mildew, but at the end it was um, less, uh, less terrible than uh, the guys uh, who were organic certified. Organic certified in Côte des Barres this year, it was uh, very, very terrible. For all the wine growers, it was, it was uh, difficult, but with the organic uh, wine growing, it was very, very terrible. So for me, uh, it was uh, between. So sorry, I would like to tell you a funny story because you know, uh, guys, I was uh, spending a lot of time in Champagne and this June, I was like sitting with the friends, with uh, Alban from Pierre de Ville, with my friend from Rousseau Bateau, who was just you know sitting in the evening drinking wine and one of the guys there was not like a conventional producer of the grapes and with, with all this mildew every morning spraying and everything the guy was sitting with us and like to be like smiling very happy looking to the guys like guys poor you like uh, this uh, this year is really to forget and that's why this conversation i think like this year was so crucial especially for the new generation like uh to people to define themselves for the future, just to understand if I really move to the organic or I not. I think this year made a lot of people doubting if it's really will work uh, under these conditions for the future or not. It's like, I mean, this year probably put so much question signs uh, to, for people to understand how they will proceed in the future. Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Because we can ask, hey, I think Remy or I have some friends who are conventional. They spray 10 times and they have us two times uh, more than me. And I spray 20 times maybe this vintage. So what the sense of all of this thing? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Hard to justify sometimes, yeah. Yeah, because finally we can speak uh, romantically about, you know, champagne, uh, new generation. But finally we speak also about like... Uh, our substance for our family, you know, like agriculture, it's not only about the romantic and the people, again, like if you produce one year, like 5,000 bottles and your neighbor, like 15 from the same, uh, like plot, 
and he will say he has a beautiful life. He, his family struggle not so much, and you like working hard just you know to justify that your philosophy is different. Okay, so guys, um, maybe let's talk a little bit about the trends. So we got uh, the idea of independent growing, of winemaking, independent winemaking. Uh, of organic winemaking for sure. We got some trends like Dinos, and this is the most interesting part which we should discuss. What about Dinos? A lot of producers from the Côte d'Abord, they make some Pinot Noir, which we usually serve with decanting in uh, white glasses. Why? We have so many ideas about Dinos in Côte d'Abord, about Pinot Noir from that area, is that the, uh, I don't know, uh, is there any reasons in cause of terroir, in a specific of wine growing, of wine making? How do you feel it? Why Winos? Why Pinot Noir? Why Cote de Bar? We see so many times in the same time. <clears throat> Sorry, it was too complicated because I mean, uh, if people think about Cote de Bar, first thing they think about is Pinot Noir, and it's what? more like uh, vino style of the wines. Why it's uh, we think about like your area, just about this? Yeah. But I think it's historically uh, the way they, they began to plant uh, Pinot Noir. I don't know why uh, before. For me, uh, Chardonnay is also very good in our area, but historically, we have a lot of Pinot Noir. Uh, what can I say also is that uh, Chardonnay, even in our area, the Chardonnay gives more Venus Chardonnay than Chardonnay from Côte des Blancs. And now, why? Why? But it's uh, why the terroir, huh? the terroir, the, the Chardonnay is more Venus in Côte des Bar than in Côte des Blancs, and it, I think it's more interesting, uh, young. In Côte des Blancs, you have to wait a lot to have interesting uh, stuff uh, with Chardonnay. So uh, that's it. You and mean aging in the bottle or uh, the age of the vineyards? Age in the bottles, in the bottle, age of the wines, aging of the wines. So, 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 so it means to, good, uh, to get a good, interesting, uh, attracting result in Côte des Blancs, you have to age the wine in the bottle for a longer period. And uh, the result in uh, Cote de Bar will be like uh, more uh, ready in like uh, in the younger way. That's what I think, but uh, this is just my uh, my opinion. Huh? And um, also in Cote de Bar, one of the reasons why there is not so many Chardonnay now is that uh, maybe you know that, but the disbudding, the the bud breaks of the Chardonnay is earlier than the Pinot Noir. So that's why the, the spring uh, risk is uh, more important with Chardonnay. And as in Côte d'Ebar, we have a lot of uh, spring uh, frost, uh, no, frost risk, sorry. In, in, in Côte d'Ebar, we have a lot of frost uh, in, uh, in spring. It's uh, more difficult to grow Chardonnay because the Chardonnay, the bud breaks uh, earlier. And for the for the Venus style, yeah, sure, it's also connected to the terroir with the maturity. We can go maybe a little bit easier higher in maturity than in the mar because we are more on the south, so we are the other climate. 
And uh, with higher maturity, you can, uh, for sure, your wine is more venous, more complex, more, more full body. And uh, that's something also we can reproach for some Pinot Noir from the Bar. Sometimes it's too much because if you don't take uh, enough attention to the maturity, you can go too high and then it's a little bit flat. Your, the venosity, it's really for me, I, I love this kind of wine, but you have to, you have to pay attention to the, don't go too far away. Okay. The reason why we make that question is pretty simple. We are so many, we work with the guests and we explain in your ideas, winemakers' ideas. And you know, so many times we use white glass, like Burgundy shape, we use in some decanters for the wines from the Côte de Bar. So that's why we ask it. We need to know your opinion about it. What the idea which we translate to our guests. So thank you. And uh, we are already moving to the tasting. I think it's time because we spent half an hour already in discussion. And the first one, it's Remy Lerois. It's extra brewed. So Remy, tell us a few words about this cuvette, please. So this cuvette, this is my non-vintage. Uh, I think. Hmm? Well, uh, well, sorry, just uh, to be more precise, uh, more precise, which base you have in the wine base here? Okay, one second. So the base wine, uh, we didn't have it on the back label because right now with the lows, we need to put the Russian label on top. So we can't see it. I will <laughs> take it off. Give me a few minutes. But Remy, tell us if you okay. Okay. And it was, for me, it's important when we discuss uh, discuss about the like cuvées. Uh, for me, it's important also to know what is the base, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, not the yeah, yeah. Because we, we speak about terroir, different vintages, we spoke about 21, so that's why I was just to have more pre precision. Yeah, and the wine changed a lot after the disgorgement. So, um, but so about my, uh, my extra brut, it's my non-vintage, so it's a blend of the major vintage, maybe now you drink the 17 or the 18, I don't know. And there is uh, always uh, something like 30% of reserve wine. The reserve wine, it's a kind of uh, Solera, okay? It's a blend of uh, my uh, wine from 2009 to, uh, for example, if you drink now the 2018, you have 30% of uh, blend of uh, 2000, from 2009 to 2016. Excuse me, Remy, uh, yeah. one, one second, because just uh, not to forget, because on the, no, our pre previous like uh, Zoom meeting, we was discussing about these things, and there is always so much question about the Solera, and you told like kind of Solera, so not to forget later, we have to speak why you say kind of Solera and not Solera, which types of Solera existing and what really defines the word Solera, okay, not to forget later. Yeah, for me, it's, uh, I, I don't think it's a real Solera because I, there is no fermentation. Um, I mean, it's just a blend, okay? Uh, the wine of 2017, there is a fermentation just with the 2017. And when the, when the fermentation is over, I blend the 17 with all the previous vintage, okay? So, uh, so, so for, for you, the real Solera is when you add just the fresh juice to your Solera and the uh, current vintage is fermented together with the old wines. 
Yeah, so for me, the, I think the, the proper name is um, Reserve Perpetuelle, as we say in French. Okay, and the Solera is, uh, explain again, uh, what is the real Solera for you? I think, but maybe Raphael, uh, I think, I'd, maybe I say mistake, but, um, but uh, no, I think the real Solera, the, 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 when you, you remove the wine, a part of the Solera, and you add the wine uh, of the year, and there is fermentation of the whole uh, mix. You understand? The okay, whole wine okay. together. But uh, maybe, fin, Raphael, what you say. Think, but, um, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure with the, with the difference between Reserve Perpetual and Solera, but for what I speak about my Solera, yeah, we, we have a 12 hectoliter barrel. And each vintage, we put we put off nine hectoliters. We keep three hectoliters on the barrel, and we fill with nine hectoliters for new wine, and we make the fermentation together. And okay, over okay. Solera, and I think, and I think also a Solera come always from the same plot. It's always the same winery. I think so. I'm not sure, but Reserve Perpetuelle is more more large. Maybe you can come from different plots from different vintage. <laughs> I think so. Our solera is like that, in any case. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to uh, interrupt you, uh, Remy. Now, please, uh, we. Yes. Yeah, so, well, so 30% of uh, reserve perpetual. And uh, to define the, the style of my wine, uh, it, it changes every year. For, for example, what I produce now, it's very different from what I produced five years ago. And uh, I think it's more and more drinkable because the sulfate level is becoming uh, lower and lower. And um, it's a cuvee which is good to drink now, but also if you, if you age, uh, if you keep in the cellar uh, after disgorgement, uh, I think the, 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 it, it ages very well. Uh, it's a way I don't know what to say but um, I think for a non-vintage of Côte de Bar it's very interesting very interesting to drink now and also uh, a good aging potential but uh, you know the cuvee better than me uh, Slava because you drink a lot uh, Sla Slava knows nothing Slava knows nothing <laughs> because, because the more you uh, the, the more you think you know the you understand then you understand nothing and less and less Mm -hmm. But some old bottle, uh, old. Um, I, I kept some of my non-vintage uh, on the list, you know. So sometimes I riddle some bottle. I disgorge non-vintage of uh, five years ago, and when I drink it, it's very different from the non-vintage I produce now. You understand? So I think the the style changes every every year, and uh, I'm very happy with what I produce now and. Uh, about the drinkability. For me, before it was a very vinous, and now it becomes uh, more and more drinkable. The vinosity is uh, is uh, decreasing. You understand? That's what I think. Okay. Женя, извини, пожалуйста, тебя перебили. Какой винтаж у вас в основе? Yes, that's okay. We found the base uh, vintage. It's 2018. Okay. The last one. The, uh, the last one, yeah. 
Okay. So, uh, the 18, I drank it. I, uh, I had um, a, a, a testing in, in Italy uh, last weekend and I... Uh, I tested it a lot, and uh, was, um, it was in a good um, in a good. Uh, it was a good time to drink it. It was in a good uh, good Sorry. drinkability. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We also really love it. It's some kind of uh, champagne for the evening. It's so refreshing, so balanced, so elegant. And uh, I think many, many restaurants use it in the restaurants to serve it better. To, to, to cook. Okay, so we are moving forward. And the second one will be from Rafa from Damien de Bichry, and it will be 100% Chardonnay. So it's 2015, uh, it's first vintage we produce. Sorry? Le nom de cuvée, c'est à l'envers, je pense. À l'envers, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's a first vintage we make hey, quite a long time ago now. Now it was, hey, it was a really nice vintage to begin with because the, hey, the, the season was not that hard, hey, quite easy. And uh, then the maturity goes really good. We can wait, no disease, nothing. And uh, we call it à l'envers because uh, it, the parcel is facing the, is facing the sun on the evening. So it's what we call an envers. To, and the opposite is la côte with the sun on the morning, it's l'envers. And also because l'envers means the, 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 the opposite, yeah? Because make, uh, making a blanc de blanc in the Côte des Bars for the first vintage was not something we were thinking about when we start. But when we test the wine on the barrel, we say, oh, it's not that, it's quite good. So we have to make, a, we have to make something with that. And we produce 700 bottles. So no, it's, hey, it's hard to speak about the first vintage because it was so uh, full of memory, full of, full of sin. And, uh, Yay. Uh, Rafa, it's, it's, it, no, it's, it's interesting that we spoke so much about the Terroir, Pinot Noir, and suddenly we didn't say Chardonnay. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, we never think making something like that. And then, hey, the, well, how do you say in Latin, uh, in Vino Veritas? No? In Vino Veritas. The truth is in the wine. Uh, the truth is in the wine, so you have to test, and then uh, we have we have any idea what we will produce this vintage. We just test, and if we find something good, we make a special cuvée with. But that's our idea. We uh, we will see with the wine. Yeah, Rafa, you know actually the full phrase is uh, if we translate in English because all the people say in vino veritas, but generally the full phrase is like we drink the water, but the truth is in the wine. Oh, okay. Yes. So you have to taste. You have to taste many cases. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, can you explain one more time the difference between Lambert and La Côte? Ah, okay. Yeah. Hey, it's when you when you are on the vineyard. If you are if the vineyard is facing the sun on the morning, so looking at the west, it's La Côte. But if the sun comes only after mid, mid, midday. 
It's a novel. You know that? Like that. Okay. And also the soil is quite different between the code and the novel. It's really different. Yeah? And uh, that's something I really love to work with because we speak about the maturity, easy to get in Code Debar, because the Venus style from the Code Debar. But if you work only with Koto, I think you have really sometimes too much venosity. And working with Envers, you keep more freshness, more precision, more acidity. And you look not too far in this venosity style, and you keep really being precise on the wine. I think so. Okay, okay, sounds great. And the wine is amazing, you know. I think it, this is the first time when we tried this pair. So we had some bottles in Russia, but we never sell it. And we tried this one for the first time. And, uh, many because, because probably, uh, because probably Nikita drinks itself everything. That's why <laughs> I didn't try. And we, we don't produce that much from this community. It's maybe 700 bottles, so it's quite small. But Hey. So 700 bottles, it means like you do only one barrel of 500 liter. No, 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 because uh, I really love the barrel, but I don't want that my wine smell too much the label and not enough the wine. So that's a blend from one barrel. So one barrel produce such as 300 bottles and the rest come from a tank to have the good blend ah, okay. between the, okay. uh, the flavor of the oak and the wine. Yeah. We work approximately with 40% of on barrel in our winery and the rest is in pain to have this good balance. And what about you, Remy? What about uh, the way you vinify in your winery? Like oak, uh, stainless steel, what is the philosophy behind? I think uh, the, um, in proportion of the total, the major proportion is uh, maybe uh, 60% of uh, tanks and 40% uh, of uh, barrels. And I reserve the barrels for the, um, for the Chardonnay. My Chardonnay is 100% uh, barrels for my uh, single vineyard. And uh, for example, in my non-vintage that you drink, uh, that you drank just before, it's something like 20% only of uh, barrels. But it's uh, very old barrels. Uh, it's uh, it's barrels I buy uh, in Burgundy. It's uh, it's not new oak. It's something that doesn't bring a lot of aromas. It's uh, mainly for the micro oxygenation. Okay, but I like the barrels on my Chardonnay. I like to have one hundred percent of barrels uh, with my Chardonnay. No, no, no. I mean, uh, the, it was like the message from uh, Nikita on the screen that uh, actually the all uh, 2000, uh, 2015 it went to the white rabbit restaurant. Ah, okay, okay. So that's why we didn't sell it, actually, yeah. Exactly, the full, the, the full, the full amount went to the one restaurant uh, quite famous in Moscow. And if you come to the village, I have some in the cellar, if you want. I can disgorge it a la volée. I see you in two weeks. <laughs> so I, I put one on the fridge, Slava, no stress. <laughs> no stress, never, never, never stress. Slava, never stress. <laughs> <laughs> so no work forward. you know like travel left out <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Remy 
uh, it's up yep. to you because we got also some kind of new label, new label for us, for sure. We got ici Blanc de Quatre Cépages, 2014, yep. uh, Mer Sous So uh, tell us a few words. What is this Quebec? So it's a single vineyard. When I came back in uh, 2008, uh, I had these vineyards in my estate. And I decided to, uh, to keep these old vineyards. Although it was not very, uh, the low were very, very, the yields were very, very low. I kept this vineyard and I vinified it uh, separately only in 2014 because it was very difficult to have uh, beautiful grapes in this vineyard at the beginning. Uh, and in 2014, this is the first vintage. Uh, uh, I, um, I vinified it uh, separately. It's a mix of Pinot Noir, uh, Pinot Meunier, a little bit of Chardonnay, and a little, little bit of Pinot Blanc. It's old vineyard. It's, um, the rootstock is very specific and is a high quality rootstock for Champagne. And, uh, and it's on Portlandian soil. The Portlandian, it's the top of the, at the top of the hillside, you have the Portlandian, like Vuette um, Sorbet, uh, like Seigne Sorbet of uh, Bertrand Gautreau. Uh, it's a specific terroir with 